jealous, cunning, manipulative, and revengeful. Those are just some negative traits of a Scorpio. These three people showed us how in the right environment this combination of flaws can lead to the world of crime. In 1995 and 1996, Marc Dutroux abducted six girls, brought them to his dungeon where he draped them before killing four out of his six victims. It will take eight years for this case to reach some form of justice, but the question still remains. Why did this happen under the watchful eyes of the Belgian authorities and can it happen again? Sometimes I plan these intros so hard. Oh, yeah. Now tell them exactly how hard do you plan these intros the whole week. Yeah, I work solely on the introductions. Shut the hell up. You don't. But listen, sometimes I plan what I'm going to say. And sometimes the actual topic for the conversation happens within the hour before I start recording. And today, the latter has occurred. As I was walking down the street, minding on my own fucking business, just listening to the music with my overhead headphones, this man was waiting for a bus. And I live in the UK, so the bus stations, I'll put them on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, but they have that shield and then like a little bench and, well, the overhead thing that protects you from the rain. And he was literally banging on that plastic thing, signaling me to like look back, like in an approving way, like, oh my god, check this out. So, okay, I thought like I dropped something, right? No, I look back to another random man that wanted me to be stopped so that he can catcall me. Ah. <sighs> I don't know how to, I, I don't know, I just, I just walked, I just walked past, I just checked my pockets to see, you know, like, did my keys fall off, like, can they follow me home, because uh, this is why women stick together, like, man, you, you understand that, if you are two random men that have never met, and this is how you support one another's creepiness, that is why women have to stick together, because this behavior is just not on. Like, instead of calling him out, me not even noticing, like, telling him that this is wrong behavior, no. The man actually stopped me in my tracks for me to see this other creep checking me out. Please make it make sense. Make it make sense. So anyways, I have a couple more opinions. Make sure you follow me on like my main YouTube channel because I'm planning to go live to just check about true crime, whether it is on TikTok or just in general topics that aren't, you know, thematic that you can't really put within a video when you're talking about a topic. And, you know, I already make so many sidelines, so I don't want to go even deeper into certain topics so that would be a great idea for a live because then you know you just have a couple of things on the agenda and you go through them and one of them is definitely the conspiracy theory world surrounding new cases because there's a couple of cases happening especially in the US right now that are just like a bit questionable I mean, the whole laundry saga and his dental records identifying that it's him, but the body being skeletonized, being bones. And you just wonder a bit, like, hmm, 
What if I don't want to put misinformation out there in the world, but if you really wanted to get away with murder and your family was fully on board supporting you, would it be possible for those dentures not to be his, to be fake? Did they manage to identify him by anything else? Why is he already skeletonized? If he disappeared like a month ago, I just don't don't really fully buy it. Like there are wilder things happening out there where people have gotten away with murder by doing fuck knows what. So would I put it past him and this family? No. Like you gotta prove it to me like two hundred percent in this particular case. Not to mention Jelani Day and like his organs missing according to the autopsy. I just don't understand. Like the same terrifying thing one of those terrifying cases with me when it comes to black men going missing and then their organs missing from their bodies which makes you question why is the case of Kendrick Johnson the student that was found within a gym mat and then once autopsy was performed on him his organs were taken out and then replaced with newspapers which is so wrong on so many levels and I just wonder what the fuck is going on like certain police departments really be doing such shitty work in certain cases where the only thing you're left with is cover-up or conspiracy theories. Which brings me to the case of the day, the last Scorpio case, because we gotta, we gotta wrap up the Scorpio season, even though technically, zodiac-wise, it has only just begun. Choose revenge, choose pettiness, but don't push it to this level, please, because it wouldn't be a Scorpio month if we didn't have a case that ended with a basement. Yeah, we, we love our basements, nothing good has ever happened in one. And the guy we're talking about today will not be an exception. And why I'm saying there's plenty of conspiracy theories, plenty of cover-up here, because in this case, we still have so many more questions than answers. Even after all this time. So this is me reaching out to anybody listening to this in Belgium, asking you if something like this could still happen today. Because if it could... We, we have a problem on our hands. To the point that, you know what this case reminded me of? If you are on TikTok, you probably saw a couple of TikToks emerging saying that the translated version of the Squid Game is incorrect. Like the meaning gets lost in so many ways and in so many occasions in the series. That is what I was hoping for about a hundred times with this case. Like, no, this must just be like a wrong translation because this couldn't actually be happening, right? Right. So you're going to be pissed and fuming and wondering so many things by the end of this case. So let us live in and you let me know your comments by the end of this one, either in the YouTube comment section or by tagging that BAM pod on Twitter or Instagram. Thank you very much for your service. Okay, this is the story of Mark Dutro. Where I'm going to start our story, as usual, is with a discovery, and that would happen in 1996. Because in May of 1996, Dutro and his buddy in crime, Lavalier, abducted 12-year-old girl called Sabine Dardine. She was riding her bike to school in the southwestern city of Tournai, near the French border. Once kidnapped, Sabine would be held in Dutro's basement for 80 days. This is where she would be starved and repeatedly raped. Before, in August that same year, 
she was joined by a 14-year-old Letitia Delez. Letitia was also kidnapped by these two individuals just as she was walking home from her local swimming pool and she was kidnapped in a different location, in the southern town of Beartrix, which will be a prevalent theme here and why the police, among so many reasons, why the police didn't connect these cases to the same individual. But once these two kidnapped Letitia, there were two witnesses that saw one van and they gave the police the license plates, and the license plates led them directly to Mark. Four days after the license plates details were given to the police, Mark and Levelier were arrested. And then, two days later, Dutroux and Levelier would end up confessing, and Dutroux would lead police to his makeshift dungeon, to the basement in his house where Sabine and Letitia were luckily found alive. Now that the police had him, his accomplice Olivier, in custody, they also arrested his wife because they realized that she was an accomplice herself. And within the next 17 days, the police will end up digging up the bodies that were buried in Dutro's garden, the bodies of five more victims. In order to even try to comprehend how we got here, we have to start from the beginning. Marc Dutroux was born on November the 6th, 1956, in a city called Ixelles. I am mispronouncing so, so many things here. I'll put it on the screen how it's spelled. He was born in Belgium and he was the eldest child of five of his parents called Victor and Janine, who were both teachers. And just the the luck in this life, maybe this was also impressionable on little Mark, because he will go forward in his life marrying a teacher, a primary school teacher. His wife, the one that will also end up being arrested, will be a teacher. Just a bit of a teaser, just to tell you where this story is truly going and how bizarre it is. Just like with most serial killers, the family life and the childhood wasn't stable. I don't know what you truly think, like, when it comes in particular to serial killers, are they born or are they made? I think in Dutro's case that he was most definitely made. Janine was super dominant mother and Victor was an aggressive father, just as it usually happens. He would report later that he was repeatedly beaten by his parents. They eventually divorced in 1971 and Dutro left home. And this is when he became a drifter, but also when he started selling his body, he became a sex worker of sorts, even though this was an early time for that kind of industry and obviously it was frowned upon. And this is, again, because people don't necessarily understand how somebody who has been brought up in a home where the neighbors would be calling the police on his parents because of the violence that was happening within the walls of the Detroit household would be desperate for attention. That was who Dutroux was at the age of 15. And you can kind of feel sorry for young Dutroux because he had no other options. He decided to leave home once he met a man who was a pedophile and he started selling himself to him. This man started basically pimping him out for money and 
Dutroux found that this was the first form of affection that he ever got. And also this probably allowed for him to form an ideology that sex is connected to profit. So affection and sex are something to be profited from. He'd end up getting married at an early age of 20 and with this woman he would have two children. And he would later admit to beating the first wife and cheating on her as well. The two would later separate in the 1980s. And they would separate because of an appearance of another woman. And because Dutroux couldn't really escape from seeing sex in connection to profit. And he found a perfect mistress that he would end up leaving his wife for. And this mistress would be Michelle Martin who he would later marry and he would have three more children with Michelle. Now, if like any normal person, you would wonder, okay, so how is this man providing for this family? What the hell are both of them doing? You said his wife, Michelle, is going to be a teacher. So what is he doing? You know, they have a huge family. What are they doing to provide for it? That is where a veil of mystery covers this whole story. Because it is known from all of the sources that Dutroux was an unemployed electrician. He was actually living on the welfare from the state. But somehow he was on the side reportedly trading stolen cars in countries in Europe like Poland and Slovakia. And it was suspected that he was selling young girls into prostitution throughout Europe. Later, the police would uncover that Dutroux actually had seven houses within Belgium. In all of the different corners, all of them would be vacant, so nobody would be living in them. Except for those houses where he would keep the girls that he would kidnap. Or where he would be selling them into prostitution. Or, you know, where he would be recording porn videos for the clients. And this is never explained. We never get the answers as to how an unemployed electrician living on welfare has seven houses. Like, who is supporting this? It's just never fully explained. By the end of the case, we still won't know the answers to these questions. If you do, please let me know, because English versions of the resources don't hold the answer to that. But it is something that would very much reasonably so explain how somebody would be connected to all of these crimes if he has all of these houses that the police wasn't aware of. So, of course, if six girls go missing, all of them in different areas, you don't connect it to the same person. But with the knowledge in the back of your head that this person has seven houses all across Belgium, well, that isn't a stretch any longer. You can kind of connect the dots. And that is what brings us to the talk of the police. Because the police really knew that they had a criminal on their hands. The police here would be technically vigilantes. They would know where Marc Dutroux was at every step of his day. And they still didn't do fuck all. Where mystery meets cover-up is really in 1985. Because here, he had somebody living in his house. This person was called Jean-Juan Pettegem. And he was discharged from the military. He had his marriage fail, so he was divorced. And just lived with Marc Dutroux and Michel Martin for a while. 
And while he lived with them, he said that him, Michel, and Mark, and also two other gang leaders, an Italian and a crazy stupid one, but he didn't know their names, were abducting the girls in the area. They would abduct Maria in October of 1985 and a girl called Sylvie in December 1985. And the reason why I'm not giving you details on the individuals, the gang leaders that were participating in these attacks as well, is because we don't have them. Those individuals apparently operated in such obscurity that we don't even have their details. The police will only know about Jean, Marc and Michel because this time they were leaving their victims alive and there will be five of them. And Jean apparently loved to spill the beans. He liked to give a bit too many details about their identity. So these victims went to the police and finally, yet again, took too long of a time. But in 1987, the police finally connected the dots and arrested Martin, Dutroux and Pettigam. They would eventually get convicted in 1989, but they basically got a slap on the wrist. For five sexual assaults, Pettigam received six years and Martin received five. Dutroux received the harshest sentence of the three of them because he was also connected with several robberies that he conducted with Jean. But also Dutroux will not serve 13 years in prison, he will only serve three. Because his early release, after only three years, was granted by the Belgian Minister of Justice at that time. This guy called Melchior Watelet. God, God, what are these names? <laughs> the public prosecutor, the psychiatrist, everybody advised against his release because he was examined in prison and they stated that Dutro remained dangerous. Yeah, because he's not going to get reformed within three years. And it gets you thinking, is this Belgian Minister of Justice, Watelet, was he the part of this child abuse ring? Because Dutro was released in 1992, but we only know that he struck in 1995. So that is suspicious. We lose the trail of his, but we know that he has contacts in Europe, that he has contacts clearly in high places in Belgium, that he has seven houses in Belgium, but we don't and can't connect him to anything for three years. The guy that is clearly a repeat offender, whose wife will end up being released, so maybe he waited for her release to start operating but I don't think so I don't think that this guy would be able to just be dormant for three years time and not commit any crimes which begs you to think how many crimes was he just never even connected to but let us talk about the crimes that we will eventually manage to connect to Dutroux the first one happened on the 24th of June 1995 when two girls called Julie Lejeune and Melissa Rousseau were playing on an overpass near their home. They were just walking and playing near Liege when the two of them would end up being kidnapped by Dutroux and taken to his house at the city of Charleroi. Here we would know that the two girls would end up being raped repeatedly and Dutroux would also be making porn videos of the abuse of these two girls that would be taking place in his soundproof dungeon. Despite of the family appealing, reporting the girls missing, 
the police wouldn't really do much. It just would seem like there is no urgency at all. After three weeks, they had no leads. Police really wasn't doing anything. Which is strange, because if you were to even look at the files of any sex offenders in the area, well, the troll's name would pop up, wouldn't it? But then you'd have to think they saw on his file that the justice minister released him. So... Are they maybe thinking, we don't want this on our hands? Somebody with an upper hand made the decision. Do we really want to spite the decision of the Minister of Justice? I don't think so. So the police had to use their own money to hire the private detective and the criminal profiler. And this profiler said that the individual they're looking for would be methodical, unemployed, would have a past record would probably be married with kids and most sinister of all that he will definitely do something like this again, which is to a T a description of Mark Dutrow. So with this, the family goes to the police to search in particular for this previous record. But the police will never end up using this profile. Now, five weeks after the abduction of Julie and Melissa, in the city of Ostend, Dutros would meet up with one of his accomplices, Michelle Olivier, that we know from the beginning of the story, and he would kidnap two teenage girls who were on holiday there with their friends. They just ended up going into a casino to watch a hypnotist show, and after that they went out to catch a tram, and this is where they would encounter Marc and Lelivier. And Marshall and Effie Lambrex would end up meeting the exact same fate that Julie and Melissa did and would be brought to the makeshift dungeon. And then Effie will be joining Melissa and Julie in that dungeon. And Melissa and Julie will actually outlive them. They will be in that dungeon for months. And this is such a cramped place. It's such a small place. You can't even stand properly in it. And to just even imagine that four girls, two of them like in their teenage years, because Effie and Anne were 17 and 18, were all cramped in such a small soundproof place. It's just one of the eeriest things that I think I have told on this podcast. Now, to give the police the benefit of the doubt, and this will not really happen often during this story, these two women were actually 17 and 18. And as it often happens in so many cases, the police said they're looking for an adventure. They might have just gone off with their boyfriends that the family just doesn't know of. It's in a completely different part of the city. Why would we connect the younger girl's disappearance and abduction with the disappearance of the two teenagers. They were different ages, it was opposite ends of Belgium. Their crimes just aren't connected. So here is, thanks to the red-handed podcast, where I need to loop you in how the police functioned at the time, because that will be yet another reason why everything, all the miscommunication is happening. So in Belgium, only recently the police has changed its structure. I will only loop you into the two levels to sort of simplify that. So we had civilian police, 
This is the higher level, let's call it that. This was previously military police, and they already had a file on Mark. Because of his previous record, they were keeping tabs on him, and even had an informant checking up on the guy. So they were technically spying on him, and this still managed to happen. And then you have the gendarmerie, which is the state police, which plays a crucial role here. And gendarmerie... The state police officers got a letter from a woman that was claiming that her son was at the time holding two kids in his house. This woman didn't say anything about the two children being dead. She said he is holding them right now. And this woman only happened to be Mark Dutro's mom. So Anne and Effie were still alive. So as the state police is getting this clue, well, the civilian police, the higher-ups, actually got information from the informant that was telling the police that Dutroux wanted to build an underground utopia of abducted kids. So the person that you let out of the prison a couple of years ago, the sex offender, is having this ideology. This informant told them that Dutroux was building a dungeon but Dutroux said, ah, actually, you know what? No, I was just renovating a basement. So the higher-ups have a file. They are aware of Mark Dutroux. They know that the two girls are missing, but they're not communicating with the civilian police, with Gendarmerie. But still, they have to investigate based on this informant. They are keeping an eye on him. They even have a camera that just didn't happen to record during the times that the girls would be transported into the dungeon. And you have to wonder why are they keeping an eye? Are they actually protecting him? Why I'm saying this is because they conduct one of the first searches. During this search of his household, they will find speculum, vaginal cream, and chains. So that should already be a big red flag where you know something nefarious is happening in this house because he is not a gynecologist. And even if he was, why would be having chains and those things in his house to begin with but they don't find a dungeon so the way this soundproof dungeon was hidden in mark's house was that it was attached to the cellar so there was a way between the cellar and the dungeon but it wasn't visible and they find the cellar with all of those things but this is when a cop actually during the search thought that he heard something, thought that he heard children's voices. So he shouted silence in this cellar. The dungeon was literally one wall away. But when he shouted silence, Effie and Anne's voices also went silent. So they kept silent themselves. This moment in itself has the most amount of conspiracy theories online because... If it is an actual search conducted by the police, if we don't think anything shady is going on, okay, you can see it as him shouting silence so that people in the room, the grown-ups, get silent and he can hear the children's voices. But if you think that something nefarious is happening here, you can think, is this command towards the people inside of the room or was it a sign for the girls? Was this arranged so that the chief of the police, who is in on it, who is aware of what is going on, who is protecting Mark, comes in 
And if he hears any sounds, anything that could indicate to anybody who isn't corrupt here that there are two girls just a wall away, well then they will remain silent if he just gives out the command. So was this the sign for the girls? Or something that I put in the script, even if this was as innocent, even if the girls didn't know of any child ring, anything happening, if they were just to hear silence and, I don't know, they were raised to be polite, to respect authority, well, they would maybe think it refers to them as well. That You know, if somebody screams for you to be silent, you are just gonna go silent. But I just don't think so. I just don't think that you, if you are in that level of danger, that you will on your own accord just go silent unless there is a threat over your head. So after this, after finding all of the suspicious evidence and hearing children's noises, they just leave and they're like, "Uh, we clear you. No, we will never look into you again. Just to frustrate you somehow even more, during that search of the house, the police would also end up confiscating the tapes. Yes, the pornographic tapes that he would record of all of his victims. But, you see, they couldn't find the right tape recorder to watch them. So, they didn't watch them for the next four years. This is where, I'm telling you, I wish things were lost in translation. I wish that this was incorrect information. But it is confirmed by multiple sources. So, that's that. And of course, once they checked their own cameras from their own informants sitting in front of Mark's house, well, it just happens that it didn't work for the hour. The hour where Effie and Anne were taken into the house. Around the time that Mark decided to kill Anne and Effie, one of his accomplices that we will know of because his body will also be found in his garden This guy called Weinstein, not that Weinstein, there's so many dirtbags apparently with that last name, actually stole one of his vans. So of course they would be changing these vehicles to commit these crimes and abduct the girls in a different one so that they are not connected to them. So Weinstein stole a vehicle, but then that vehicle ended up being found and it was taken away by the police. And Weinstein became a suspect in that case. So Mark Dutrow, like every rational human being, decided to kidnap his accomplice, Weinstein, and hold him in the dungeon at the house. It is speculated that at this point Anne and Effie were still alive and that he allowed them to move around the house well by move i mean he moved them into a different room where they would still be chained while he was torturing weinstein to fess up where he left the scar how it is going to come up to bite him in the ass how it will be connected to him and that eventually that torture led to Weinstein maybe even being buried alive. And as he wasn't giving up the information, he was just left in that garden, buried alive to die. So now we have one of his accomplices, Weinstein, dead. Mark ended up killing Effie and Anne, but Julie and Melissa were still alive. And this is when the police knocked on his door and took him in to question him in relation to a stolen car. And here they won't release him. They actually brought him to court and he will end up serving four months in prison. 
during those four months, did his wife go to the police, this ex-primary school teacher? Did she feed these victims? Did she take care of them at least? No, she did none of that. She she said she was scared. Yeah, you know, she really wanted, because she loves kids so much, she has three of her own with Mark, and she obviously took care of these victims, but you see, she was too scared. She was too frightened to go to this dungeon to feed these girls because she was scared that, quote, the little beasts might attack her. End quote. She's scared. She is the one who is scared. Imagine the children dying, literally starving behind the walls, just thinking, is somebody going to come to feed us? But no, no, I have nothing in my heart for this woman. You might able to see her as a victim I don't know how I genuinely don't know how because later she will be discovered on those tapes that they will recover from Mark's house she helped him build this basement she was aware of everything happening she is behind the cameras she knew of so many of these abductions she knew of Weinstein's death why for months four months he spent in prison but she didn't come forward I have nothing nothing in my heart for this woman. Zero. Zero emotion. So, of course, once he gets released in May 1996, the disappearances begin again. And I just... I just like to visualize these things because I'm disturbed. I don't know why else. But, like, imagine you come out of the prison. You back, go back to your house. What is the dynamic now that you have with your wife? Because you come back and you realize that the two victims that you expected to find there alive, I suppose? I don't know. Or did you want her to kill them? Is this all upon your advice and command? Who is running the shots here? Because, like, what is the dynamic now? Do you still want to continue abducting victims with your wife? Or is she the enemy now? Because she can't even keep them alive it's so sickening so sickening on so many levels but i just want to be the fly in that room to figure out what is the psychology of people in these situations but i don't have that because he starts abducting girls again so in may 1996 sabine dardine who was 12 years at the time would end up going missing as she was going to school sabine would spend 80 days 80 days in that dungeon and then she would be joined in August 1996 by Leticia Deleuze who was 14 and who disappeared when she left the public swimming pool in Beatrice in Luxembourg province. This is the instance where the witness will remember a white van because it was super noisy, one of those old vans. He couldn't even invest into like a new car that would be inconspicuous in public. And because of that, they took down the license plates. And once the police found that the van belonged to Detroit, they pulled up his record and found his previous convictions for rape. So this is where we go to the beginning of the story, the discovery, and the arrest. When the police arrested him, he wasn't speaking at first, but then the other two, Olivier and his wife, turned on him. So eventually he had to cave. So the first thing he thought of was to manipulate the situation and say that Weinstein is responsible for everything. He would bring the police eventually to the house. 
he would bring them to that dungeon that they couldn't find themselves for some reason. And luckily here, Sabine and Letitia were found alive. But even here, you just see the complete dependence. Like, that he calculated and fought through all of this. Because these girls didn't even just go out to the police, you know, like, believing they were saved. They waited for his command to get out of that dungeon. And later we will find out, because Sabine actually wrote a book on this, she spoke in court against him. Sabine really kicked ass in this story. But we find out that he told the girls that their families don't want to see them anymore, that they have actually given them to him. This is very much like Colleen Stan and Girl in the Box case, where he made them write letters, postcards to their families. And then, of course, he would never end up sending them. He was probably just reading it over and over and just getting off on them. Because the girls in these letters would be begging their families to take them back. They would be begging. They would be saying, like, they're going to be nice. Just take us back from this man. While... Then he would come back and say, well, you see, your families don't want you. I'm the only one who does. And actually, he gave them as little details to frighten them about this huge child ring, this huge prostitution ring, saying that they could have it much worse. Just like Cameron Hooker did in Colleen Stang's case, where he isolated them to that point for so long that he was able to convince them there is this whole ring, but he is one of the good masters, you know, that they don't want to end up with somebody much worse off. So they should listen to him and respect him because he is so much better than anybody else. And then after releasing these two girls, well, he brought them to his garden. Apparently the police failed for a few days to dig up any bodies to find anybody in his garden. So Dutrow, of course reproached them for that and pointed to the five potential hotspots because he said had I been Weinstein I would have buried them there and there and then those just ended up being the spots where they will end up uncovering each and every victim including Weinstein himself. Now, once the bodies were uncovered, the other families started getting hope because it was also uncovered that this man had seven houses throughout Belgium. So the judge that was put on this case, Judge Komorod, who is one of the very few heroes in this story, he called for all of the cases to be shared. And this led them to look into the other abductions. So... After the arrest, Judge Komorot went after all of the associates. And here is where we meet yet another man, one of the few people whose identity we actually know of in this story. And this was a rich businessman called Michel Nihol, who would organize the sex parties where all of these exchanges would be happening, where these pedophiles would be bringing the young children, and where the children would be hired to quote-unquote, entertain the guests. And this was corroborated by 11 witnesses who came forward. They called them the ex-witnesses, and they called these the ex-files. And one of the witnesses' names was released to the public. Her name was Regina, and she detailed all of the things that happened during those sex parties. 
giving the details of one murder that happened in 1984 that no one else knew about but the police did. So 29 people ended up being arrested because of this. But then Judge Komrod, who was put on the case, ended up being fired. This happened because Dutro's lawyer requested for the removal of the judge. Apparently, the judge attended a fundraising supper for an organization for missing children. So this was organized by the parents of the several of Dutro's victims. And the judge attended it and he accepted a pen from an organizing group. The Supreme Court deemed that these events, him going to a dinner, like a charity dinner, compromised Judge Comrade's confidentiality and this meant that he had to be removed from the case. This was the final straw for so many people, the victims' families, so many people in Belgium felt such outrage. And it led to the public just losing the public confidence in the system, because he was an impartial judge, one and only probably that they could find, considering everything. Considering how the police was handling the cases, considering how they were handling the autopsies and the DNA evidence. Because after the judge was fired, the families imploded. They were giving interviews, they were saying to the public how the cases of their loved ones were handled. The families of the victims weren't actually even allowed to identify their daughter's bodies. Why? Well, because according to the lawyers, Dutro identified them and that was enough for the public system. So the family didn't really have to identify their own loved ones, not to mention the DNA. That they were, I've seen different records, but over 5,000 samples, like different hairs in the dungeon in Dutro's house, but they won't really test those. The parents suspected a couple of things. One was, were the girls even kept in the house? Maybe there is a lack of actual victim evidence. But also, more importantly, why would the detectives never send the hair samples for the DNA analysis? What other reason would they have unless they're protecting somebody else's identity? The prosecutor general had its reasons and they said there was no need to get the hairs analyzed as no one else entered the cage. There was no network, so there was no need to look for evidence of one. Yet again, is it a shitty police work? And why is it so shitty? Why is it so shitty that then you have to suspect cover-up? You have no other choice but to suspect cover-up. If you have so much DNA, just analyze it. Then exclude everybody. Make sure that everybody's name is not connected to this. That they're all cleared. But the biggest outrage didn't come just from the DNA samples, the judge's dismissal, everything that these parents were going through in the terms of not even being able to identify their daughters. It happened once they realized that Dutro actually had a criminal record. So on the 20th of October 1996, a demonstration called the White March was organized, where 300,000 people demanded justice. They abandoned their jobs, they abandoned their factories, everything was at a standstill. The firefighters turned the hoses on to the governmental buildings, 
the country was calling for the reform of the Belgian parole system, asking the lawmakers to make sure that those who are convicted of crimes like the choices are never to be eligible for an early release. Because had he not been released, all of these victims that we are talking about today would have still been alive, had he actually spent the full 13 years in jail. This new reform came under the name of Dutroux Commission. Why not name it after the victims? Just get your shit together. And apparently it came in the form of the recommendations focusing on the key free areas. Streamlining the free overlapping police forces, so you know that they share information between one another, would have been useful. Training and new procedures on how to respond to missing persons reports and fundamental reforms of the justice system. So I'm not sure if those were adopted, how the police communicates today. If you live in Belgium, please let me know, alleviate all of us from just stressing further about this case and stressing further about that this is how the system works. Because we're not done yet. No, the corruption does not stop here. Despite the march, despite the outrage, the police department would suffer further humiliation because in April of 1998, Mark Dutroux managed to overpower a police officer guarding him and escaped. He was supposed to have a court visit because his trial wouldn't happen for eight years after his arrest. Just another food for thought here. But this man actually pulled a Bundy and managed to escape this guard and for three hours they couldn't find him. For three hours the police were just busy looking for one of the most dangerous criminals. So that was great. The guy had associates in powerful places. He knew how to steal cars, so he just took off in a stolen car. Eventually, after three hours, he will be recaptured and Belgium's police chief, justice minister and interior minister would resign due to this. Probably more due to the embarrassment rather than him actually escaping. And because I come from a country that technically isn't run as a dictatorship, but you kind of know it is, you have to wonder when certain people in power resign, why did those people resign and why exactly at that time? Because usually it happens for a reason. Because even before his trial, they're going to promise these police reforms, you know, they're going to start making changes but also the investigation would lead to the conclusion that there is no such ring that he was the part of. So you have to wonder what are they trying to hide? Who are they trying to hush up? What do these people that resigned even know? Or what could they reveal? And is it in a certain way at least just a form of distraction for you to pay attention to that, to think that actually something is happening, that people responsible are going down, but maybe actually it is just further cover-up because those people resign, but people who truly call the shots never do because we just don't know their identities. So Dutro's trial will start on the 1st of March 2004. He spoke behind the protective glass. He denied all charges. He claims that he was just a small player in a pedophile ring that is run by the Belgian elite. 
And he also shoved the police under the bus, which is one of the main reasons why I just said what I said. He said that they were responsible, that they helped him out in the abduction of the girls. I do, to a certain degree, believe that if we think that there is a pedophile ring here, which just even based on the level of secrecy that has prevailed over this case, I do believe there is one, and that he was only a small player, that he was probably hired based off of that event from his teenage years, the fact that he was poached by a pedophile. I think everything connects in the end. The fact that we don't know the details of that, of how he got to be in sex work, how he got to be poached by somebody, I think that is all connected. That whoever that person was then, you know, passed on his details. It's just like a circle of hell. One thing passed on to the next. And yes, I do believe that Mark Dutro was only a pawn in this whole ring, which is terrifying to think that if this is just a small level criminal in the ring, like what are other people ready to do? What are people at a higher level doing? In the court, he was confronted by his youngest victim, surviving victim, Sabine, who was 12 at the time of her kidnapping. She asked Dutroux why he had not killed her, and he replied, it was never my intention to harm her in any way, and he claimed that he saved her from the wicked chief. She told the court about the wicked chief, about what they were told in that dungeon, that they were told they were taken for ransom, but their parents refused to pay, that he is a nice man who won't execute them, but will save them, and that because of that, he is actually taking a huge risk, because everything and everybody outside of that house is to be considered dangerous, so she has to stay there. And in exchange for this protection he would get her to give him something in return. This is how he justified the fact that he was raping underage girls. This is actually where I'd like to ask you the questions because I compared this to Colleen Stan's case where Cameron Hooker was the only person there. There wasn't a ring, at least not that we knew of. Do you think that there was ever a wicked chief, quote-unquote, in this case? Or do you think that Mark Dutroux invented the whole ring to justify his actions? Just based on the whole cover-up, I think there was somebody else calling the shots here. But let me know what you think. Even Judge Komorot, who was removed previously, came back to testify. And he testified how he was threatened and how murder contracts were taken out on him and other witnesses. Now you hear that and you're like, wow, that is a bold statement. That is an exaggeration if I've ever heard one. Well, no, it isn't. Remember Regina? Well, she never testified. After the investigators and the judge changed, everybody else who was put on the case portrayed her as a crazy person. But at least she lived because 20 other witnesses have died. I will put the screenshot even just from Wikipedia of different ways other people have died. The most popular way, something you may be able to call a pattern, would be a car accident. So so you can make out of that whatever you want to. 
you can see it as a cover-up or you can see it as so many people just dying a very similar death. There were a couple of suicides as well. I'm not going to beat around the bush and call this a cover-up. I'm going to firmly state that, in my opinion, this is one of the biggest cover-ups that I have ever heard of. Like, this is insane. This is this can't be true, right? But it is true. It so is. So let us speak about their convictions. Dutroux was convicted of murder of Anne and Effie and Bernard Weinstein, of rape, kidnapping of six girls, conspiracy and drug offenses, and he got life in prison. And he is eligible for early release after 30 years in 2021. From what I read, because I was like, that is scary as shit. I believe he appealed, but he can't be out now due to that failed appeal until 2036. Michelle, his wife, was convicted of letting Julie and Melissa starve to death and also assisting the kidnappings, and she got 30 years in prison, but she was released in 2012 after serving 16 years out of 30. Michel Nihul, the businessman that organized these parties, was acquitted of kidnapping, document fraud, trading of stolen vehicles. So he was supposed to serve five years, but he was released early, of course, because money buys you releases out of prison. And Michelle Lelivier was convicted of kidnapping of Anne, Effie, Sabine and Letitia and of rape. And he was sentenced to 25 years in jail, but was released under conditions in October 2019. So a lot of them are out now and there is still possibility for one of them to be released. I mean, he will be old, what he will be like in his 60s. Still, just, just don't. The same way that I have said in, I don't know, cases of Kelly Lane. In that case, don't release her until she's at least in menopause. Here, I don't know, don't release him until he stops breathing. Yeah, I think that would be a good conclusion in his case. Because, because, you know how Jason Derulo said that he only misses you when he's breathing? Well, this guy, if he's breathing, he is going to continue offending. That's it. Case closed. Actually, I have a few more information. I have a few more facts for you. But yeah, sure. <laughs> Just gave people permission to leave. They are not here. They're not conditioned to stay they stay because they like information they stay because they like you all right let's speak about where this case is now he was causing some public outrage in 2018 mark dutroux that is again because the parents of the victims received the letter from mark dutroux on the day of their daughter's funeral. Wrong timing, mate, read the room, at least if you are a fucking creep, if you're trying to get yourself out, this is not the way. This is just not the way how to live your life at any point. In Mark's eyes and in his lawyer's eyes, Mark wanted to offer to answer questions if the parents had any. Now he wants to talk, you know, talking about the restorative justice, how it's going to help him and if it will help the family reach the conclusions and reach closure. But everybody saw it for what it really was and it was a plea for an early release. Because you know that the media would be on top of this, publishing how the family is actually communicating with a criminal, maybe they have forgiven him. But that 
didn't work, the family didn't want to go through this. Then, in 2020, I've read articles how COVID is delaying his possibility of parole and early release. And he was actually examined in the end. And according to his lawyer, Bruno Diaz, they revealed that Mark actually won't be pursuing parole, and that is on the basis of the psychiatric report that was released, stating that Dutroux still represents too great a danger to the society. The report stated maximum risk, a certain degree of perversion, a psychopathic profile, and a sociality, and a certain sadism. To that, his lawyer, Mr. Dyers, responded that his clients had regrets and he hoped for a new psychiatric examination because that would show regrets. Yeah, I don't think he understands how life works. And you see, something I didn't tell you, which I really hope in the bottom of my heart, if anything here is the correct translation, probably of Belgian news articles, that this part is... Dutroux is detained in solitary. He lives in solitary, spends 365 days, 366 on a leap year, in a 96-square-foot cell. Too large, I, I, I would argue too large. And, I mean, according to his lawyer, that would lead anyone to dementia or suicide. But solitary is just a kind of confinement, it's just a kind of punishment that a Scorpio would serve. And it's the one that he served onto his victims. So, you see, I feel like that is the kind of punishment that he deserves. Even smaller. That's just, I mean, if they could only build a dungeon of the exact same size, proportions, conditions, just barely food enough to survive, I have a feeling that would be exactly that. No rope, no nothing to commit suicide with, no. No, just actually drive him crazy with his thoughts for a lifetime, for a life sentence. But then, in the next line, I put, okay, so overthinking this, definitely seeing both sides to every story, but I also had to wonder, is he in the solitary? Because there he can't talk to anybody. He can't actually have any communication with people and can't reveal information, can't give further names and implicate other people. Because in this case, you just have to, you just have to speculate. You're left with nothing but speculations. Speaking of that, that is sort of the case of Mark Dutroux. There are some things that I found that I found interesting and I believe have been overlooked. You know, if, I don't know, maybe the police force now wants to, like, re-examine this case, maybe arrest those people again, you know, just an idea. Well, Dutroux actually owned those seven houses. I found in some sources that it stated ten Several of the sources that I read stated that he has connections to Europe. In particular, Slovakia was mentioned a few times. I've seen mentions of Poland and Czech Republic as well. And that connects him to Michel Nichol, the businessman dude. So there are connections that they were planning prostitution and human trafficking operation between these countries in Western and Southern Europe. And we just don't have any information on that. Why hasn't that been looked into when it came to his trial? 
Then I read that there was a videotape of Dutro raping a child in Slovakia that the police failed to review after it was seized. You have to wonder, what did they do with all the tapes? Have all of them been analyzed? Did we identify all of the victims in those tapes? Did we identify the locations where they have been taped? Then thinking about the actual physical evidence, if you think about the car theft, the smuggling operations, that is again something connecting him to the Eastern European countries. So that is something where we might be able to get the leads on the license plates, on the operations, on I don't know, car mileage, like connecting him to those places, whether or not he traveled there. Again, if somebody wanted to do a thorough investigation here, there are so many avenues that you can take. Not to mention the DNA samples, thinking about actual physical evidence. As I told you, there were over 5,000 hair samples found in the basement cellar. 25 of those were apparently unknown DNA profiles. But regardless, there were people in that cellar that are not the accused that aren't Mark and other free people. And the prosecution just never attempted to match those two people implicated in the case. And then another avenue is the whole list of people connected to this case as witnesses that have died due to suicide, heart attack, car crash, prevalently car crash and suicide. Those were the people investigating, from journalists to police officers and different witnesses. So, by the end of all of this, I have to wonder, is there one person in prison with a harsh punishment, you could say, isolated from the whole world, so nobody suspects anything and he can't provide any further information, and by this point he had probably forgotten a bunch of that, and everybody on the outside who knows more than they should has died, slash possibly allegedly been killed in suspicious circumstances. And we have one person taking down the fall on behalf of the whole ring so that everything is kept under hush-hush and nobody looks into what is really going on while there is so many opportunities and avenues to do so. Probably the most out of any single case that I have covered where there is physical evidence that could connect, there is or have been at least people that could connect to this ring, to these parties, to exactly how this is going on. And it will just not happen because, well, they had their scapegoat and that man is now in prison. Most of the people are dead and we might just never know size audibly <laughs> actual audible size so what could have motivated this man here is where i looked a bit into the motivation of pedophiles because i do want to do a month where i pattern it around the motives of free pedophile cases but i also know that's going to be heavy and i just am not mentally prepared to do so yet, especially after reading this. So, something to bear in mind are that pedophiles show elevated shyness, sensitivity and depression. They usually score high on neuroticism and psychoticism, but not enough to be considered pathological. And even with people who studied pedophiles, they say that there is a difficulty trying to understand cause and effect. 
because we can't actually tell whether pedophiles gravitate towards children because they are highly introverted. You can probably think of cases that fall under this category where they find company of children less threatening than the company of adults, or whether there is the social withdrawal that implies that introverts are product of isolation, in particular because of their preference, so that they are aware that the predisposition or what they like, the fact that they like children in that way is going to meet disapproval and hostility of the public. There is correlation when it comes to pedophilia to children who have sustained serious head injuries when they were young, before the age of six. And another study deduced that more pedophiles had mothers with psychiatric illnesses than an average person would. They usually have lower IQs than other people and arrested psychosexual development, which is caused by early childhood stress. We can think of a couple of things that would have caused early childhood stress, including him being sold to a pedophile by the age of 15 here. And this would in turn cause development to be fixated or regressed and is manifested in his own sexual preferences towards children, because that is the only thing he knew, the only sort of form of affection that he had witnessed take place in his early teenage years. And what I find scary, but also applicable in this case, is that pedophiles on the whole believe that their behavior is normal, but that the society just won't be able to accept it. So they're convinced they're doing a good thing when they are actually assaulting children and that the children can learn how to enjoy the relationship. Here I wanted to discuss the traits of a pedophile because you can see Mark Detroit as a psychopath. You can see him as so, so many other twisted things. But if we are thinking about somebody who has a chance of parole and actually being released we have to think about whether or not there is a chance that they will reoffend, And if this is his actual preference, whether or not it came from his childhood, from how he was treated, from the fact that he was given to a pedophile at the age of 15, what is to tell us that as soon as he is not released from prison, even if there was never a pedophile ring, even if there was never a child ring here to begin with, that he would not choose his own preference and that he would not abduct a child and close them in another dungeon in one of his other locations as soon as he is out. Yet another food for thought when it comes to this case because I don't think anybody in this case who has been put on all of the corrupt people involved in it is actually processing this from like as if you would process any other normal crime case like oh we have evidence no let's ignore everything like what is the thought process in this please walk me through it because it makes no sense no quadra compañero no quadra and if you have learned a single thing from the month of scorpius that is that we will we will, we can, and we commit to taking certain secrets to our grave. We are completely comfortable with taking some secrets to our grave. Some people, you know, can't hold a secret for more than two minutes. They go, they run to their best friends. We are like, no, we've 
can be in solitary for 30 plus years and still be like, you know what? No, I am confessing to anybody. I am giving names while you have all the names in your head, while you know exactly what is happening. So now that you're going into your next Zoom call, discuss, discuss this with your Scorpio friends. What are their traits? What will they do to seek revenge? What secrets do they hold? And what are they ready to do to protect them? And listen for their response. Listen for their response. Are they manipulating you with it? Are they telling you what you want to hear? And what are they hiding inside under the surface? Okay, so this was dramatic for no fucking reason. Not all Scorpios are like bad, right? We have some bad traits that are prevalent, like 90% of our days. But that is why we also isolate ourselves and don't really talk much. (laughs) And that is also why you see the best of us and not the worst of us. Because we just... You know, keep keep it to ourselves. We keep it to ourselves. And trust me, we go insane in our heads 24-7. It's like the freaking mouse, the freaking hamster running that wheel of conspiracy. Running the wheel of like, just, woo. how would I spin this? How would I take revenge? How would I manipulate this situation? It's everything. Because everything, everything is a conspiracy theory. Everything is overthinking. So... If you are not a Scorpio this month, you can probably not relate to any of these cases. And wow, I envy you (laughs) for a fucking change. If you don't have my brain, I envy you every single day of every single week. And by envying you, I do what? I know that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) By questioning how your brain works compared to sometimes, sometimes it's compared to other criminals, other niches. Sometimes it is a wild card and you're comparing yourself to other zodiac signs like Scorpius. And this month, what have you learned? That by doing that, by comparing yourself to the characteristics of other signs, you're making this world a better place. One motive at a time. Trust me, I did not expect this ending either. I don't script these, nor do I script the intros, which is very obvious <laughs> so obvious so uh now i'm leaving you with some outtakes about me talking about taylor swift apparently <laughs> this day is wild and this year is wild and this week will be wild wild and i will be seeing you with full-blown energy on my birthday 29th put it in your calendars it's monday just subscribe you don't have to put it in your calendars it's not it's not that special i will be seeing you then with a different story (laughs) bye fucker scorpio season is upon us choose pettiness bye I think I've seen this film before and I did not like the ending. <laughs> Save that shit for the outtakes. That is literally my brain on repeat. The Taylor Swift song. But the Bon Iver lyrics. <laughs>
I discovered Taylor Swift songs in the most retarded of ways. Listen, if you're a Swiftie out there, tell me how do you... I mean, you probably like have alerts on all of the apps. You're probably the wrong people to ask. But I've discovered Nobody No Crime by listening to Crime Junkie episodes for April Fools. And then I've discovered Exile with Bon Iver by listening and watching you on Netflix. Like... <laughs> Just tell me, please. How do you discover these cult songs? Like, how do you know what Taylor Swift song is a cult song? Or do you believe they all are? Because this is literally my brain. Because I listened to it for about a hundred times. And that lyric resonates with me so much. Because, like, we've all been in a situation that we've seen before. And we know how it's going to end. And you are just watching it unravel in front of your eyes, thinking, what have I done? Am I the drama? Am I... I the drama. Okay, it's time to go. <laughs> nurse. Nurse, she left the room. Nurse, somebody gave her a microphone again, nurse.